0: Hello and welcome to this episode of TF. It's a free one. It's the free I one. I preempted <sighs> Milo's awful uh, habits of doing... I wish he was back on vacation. What you did really was you teed me up. For I- <laughs> <laughs> and mm. I'm here in studio with Milo and saying We have Alice and... Joining us, very special guests from uh, from very far away in a room that appears to be full of uh, computer detritus, like uh, a hacker's bedroom from the <laughs> 1990s. It is, of course, it is Corey Doctorow and Rebecca Giblin, uh, the authors of Choke Point Capitalism, Corey returning champion, Rebecca, first time challenger, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. It's it's a delight to be here. And uh, I, we are dialing in from the 1990s from a hacker's bedroom. So,
2: <clears throat> Two of them enter, only one of them may leave.
1: Yeah, will Corey
2: right. retain his, his champion's <laughs> belt <laughs> or will Rebecca the challenger yes, take or, it off him?
0: Or, or will Rebecca win the champion's belt that gets you access to the uh, free
2: well drinks yeah, and... Uh, free filter coffee yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and assorted danishes mm-hmm. in the Trash Future Lounge.
3: Yeah, uh, no don't, even, don't even challenge me like that. Like It was very, very close last night to ending up in an arm wrestling tournament in Soho House. So anything oh, no. can happen.
2: I, I mean, I, I to love that. That's got to be the easiest arm wrestling tournament in
1: history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, yeah. Snappy how snappy of wimps Almost they got in there? Right. Yeah, yeah. loveys have got notoriously skinny arms. Mm. Yeah. I, I, no, I had I,
3: it. I had it. But they're all talk. They're back.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I bet. I, I really love this new remake of Over the Top, where um, uh, he, or, uh, 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 Sylvester Sloan when he turns his cap backwards, it does say Supreme on both sides. Mm. Uh, but no. <laughs> Uh, we what? are going to be talking to uh, over the top the arm wrestling movie. You wrote over the god damn it. Doesn't That's all philistines. Uh, however, we are going to be talking. What is the Well,
2: bull was solved by arm wrestling.
0: We are going to be talking <laughs> to Corey and Rebecca about their new book, uh, which is all about uh, copyright and how these kinds of things that are these legal uh, uh, principles uh, can be used and abused to. Uh, suck away the uh, power and revenue of uh, creators of all stripes by uh, middlemen who suck and often promote NFTs Does this uh, is mean that, that- we're going to have to stop doing the patent
1: pending joke that we like to do now?
0: Uh, Corey, does that mean we're going to have to stop doing that joke I mean, we do
1: this Rebecca's episode? The, the, Rebecca's the, the uh, law professor I think this is one for her
3: well, I actually think you made the book sound way more boring than it actually is, which was not a huge <laughs> favourite status update. Like, I feel like I, we're
4: establishing quite an adversarial relationship.
3: Like, I, I don't want to read it after the introduction that it got. Like the what the, the, the book is about is about all of these grifts right like the Mm -hmm. fact that we've got these big businesses that have captured creative labor markets um, from everything from music recording streaming live performance ticketing um, music publishing books like physical e audio um even hollywood talent agencies and like so many Mm -hmm. other different areas but they're all playing from the same playbook and they're all pretending they're not doing it. So we get into all of those stories. We persuade you. The problem is not that there's not enough copyright. It's not that pe- like artists are not working hard enough. Um, it's that we've got these huge businesses who are creating these hourglass-shaped markets where they get to have audiences at one side, creators at the other, and themselves like squatting predatorily at the neck. And then... We don't stop there, though. Like We just really like violently did not want to write yet another one of those Chapter 11 books where you've got like 10 chapters talking about how shit everything is. And then, oh, look, we're out of time, but here's some hand-wavy stuff. Like, vote harder at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole second half of the book is like, well, sure, they're creating these choke points, but here are a whole bunch of really detailed, hopeful things that we could do about how we widen them out.
2: A chapter eleven book actually sounds like a lot of the books we have on this show, where you go bankrupt at the end because it doesn't sell very well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure will not be the fate of this yeah. book. Now, to be clear, we've done arm
0: wrestlers. We <laughs> mean we mean, the, we mean the books we read to make fun of, not the books we interview the authors of.
5: <laughs> We're talking
0: books, yeah. we mean, you know, books written by Tori M. Great, great of that
4: moments nature. and trash future diplomacy continues. <laughs> <laughs> it just rolls on. The charm offensive just continues.
0: Uh, of course, uh, it, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be the show if uh, I didn't uh, pick a startup to talk about. Uh, mm. Also, British listeners may be wondering, hey, Britain seems to be imploding. Are you going to talk about that? And the answer was, uh, we did on the previous episode, and we will on the next episode. Yeah, we'll we'll <laughs> talk about it in the next week where a decade has happened. Yeah, 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 yeah Exactly. exactly. Uh, where we're we're talking about
2: uh, we're talking guilt. We're How talking much will Corey and Rebecca's book cost in pounds? No idea. <laughs> Absolutely none. Well, yeah, it's, yeah. it's
1: that famous Einstein quote. You know, I don't I, I don't know what this week's podcast will well, I uh, will be recorded with, but next week's podcast will be recorded with sticks and stones.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: that's yeah. right. You drum the uh, you know you 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 make some um, uh, indents in the stick with the stone, and then you feed that into a computer made of like reeds and stuff.
2: That's where we're going mm. in the UK. Yeah. I've been stone been technology. That the studio has been made of more wet leaves than last
5: time
2: <laughs> recording the podcast <laughs> directly into the mouth of a pelican who goes it's a living <laughs> uh, but but the, po- the, the podcast the startup
0: today uh it's I'll, I'll tell you right now it's been invested in by andreessen horowitz
2: uh and, and it's it called down. yeah the guy who wrote stormbreaker <laughs> it's called Arpeggi. just for me that one Arpeggi. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to throw it to uh, to our guest first. Uh, Rebecca, having never been on the show, you get first guess. Arpeggi, what do you think it does?
3: Look, all I can think about now is pelicans. Um, but
0: <laughs> warmer. Yeah. Okay,
3: okay. Look, arpeggi for sure. Um it's a new dishwasher technology uh, but it's mm. on the blockchain and dwarves are involved in some way uh, just to make it Ooh. smarter.
0: So you do have the blockchain element correct but I'm afraid that's the only correct element. Uh, Corey, please so take us it. So is it that th-
1: they're procedurally generating every four bar phrase in a in a 12 note or in an 8 note scale? Uh, and then they register each one of them as an NFT and claim that that means they now own the copyright to all conceivable melodies. Oh, you are so close. Oh, rank
2: yeah, arpeggio is saying, look, we all hate polyphony because you hear polyphony and you're like, there's too many notes at once. How am I going to know what all those notes are? So you feed in chords to arpeggi, and then it plays each note individually uh-huh. and then it's on the blockchain summit. Uh, uh,
0: again, uh, Corey has gotten it very, very so close.
4: Well, if, if you can't copyright or attempt purport to copyright individual notes or chords, it's got to be like pieces of music, right? Like compositions.
0: Uh, yeah, I I think Alice has got it, I'm afraid. Mm. Uh you copyright. If, if,
4: if your songs aren't earning for you on the blockchain, what are you even doing in the mu- in the music industry? Yeah. That's
0: right. Uh I was going to go to Hussein next, I'm afraid, but uh Alice, I'm afraid Alice pipped you to the post. Yeah, mine
6: was also just like a completely irrelevant, although it could be quite a fun idea. Okay. Okay. Well, do you want to hear it? What, okay, well, that. welcome to the pit zone. Uh okay. if if Mark Andreessen is listening to what if you had a gig economy service where you uh uh, where a guy would just show up and like read sections of the gulag up oh uh, pet Archipelago Archipelago, that's right and I, Well, because I realized, that, oh shit, they sort of sound similar, but they don't And yeah. also I don't know how to
0: pronounce Solving this as a service yeah. mm. gig,
4: a, gig economy, but it's a literal gig
0: Yeah. So, here's the thing, Arpeggi is called Your Place to Make Music Because the one thing that you, mm. that you all missed, but I, I'm not going to hold this against you Is that it's a kind of crappy, stripped-down version of Ableton that's blockchain-enabled Oh, so it's no. in, so it's a digital audio workstation. Next Cloghead's
2: album made exclusively <laughs> on Arpeggi.
0: Where it says uh, it's a free in-browser, di- so you know it's good if it's an in-browser digital audio workstation uh, powered by the blockchain. So that whenever you make some kind of sound, if you're the f- presumably if they're first person to make it, it will be you. You will have an on-chain attribution that you made <laughs> that sound. A, a,
4: a, a sort of imperative towards quite harsh
0: industrial
4: noise music here. If the only way you can make money off of it if, is if it's a sound no one's ever
1: made before.
4: <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I mean, intrigued
1: there's a, here there's a kind yeah. of Hellraiser flavor to that. Yeah. right? I'm gonna, mm. I'm gonna ev- evoke sounds from you that no human ears have heard before. <laughs> All, you know so many, is,
6: yeah, so yeah. many British sex noises. Yeah. Mm. This is
1: like, so oh, when oh. I was a baby writer, I would meet these grifters mm. who would say, who would give writing. Uh, Advice, And they would say things like, as soon as you write it, you must put it in an envelope and FedEx it to yourself, but never open it. And that way, when someone steals your precious idea, you can prove because everyone knows that you can't counterfeit a FedEx envelope. And this is as if mm. they were selling you the FedEx envelopes, right? You yeah. just you just take all of that and add a a hundred dollar per FedEx envelope uh, a price tag to mint yeah. the FedEx envelope. I yeah. just
3: think this is hopelessly derivative by Anderson again, because I actually delivered a paper in London at a conference called Geeky about 2017 that was entirely in the form of dystopic short fiction and the first sentence sort of began, you know, the the, the person, they're the, the, the working in the studio, they're making the music and they're doing it on a hover piano, which is how you know it's the future. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it was exactly this, right? You had to, like, you had to put all of your music through this. So, like, what happens in a world where you've got perfect copyright mm-hmm. enforcement, you've got to put all your new compositions through this machine and then the computer mm-hmm. says yes or no, which is actually something George Harrison legit asked for in right. the seventies, after lord. he after he was mm. you know found to have unconsciously infringed my sweet lord, he was just like, "What I want is a computer that will do exactly that." Yeah,
2: you should have, have, have a little bit mailed further. that idea to yourself in an envelope <laughs> because <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, you know the funny thing is, right? Is we all remember the show Silicon Valley? That was the initial. Purpose of the company that Silicon Valley is about is for is for uh, musicians to play their songs into this recording thing, and then it would compress the file and check it, to see if it was violating copyright. I, I feel like this can get grimmer. Right, we've, turn we've, it we've in gotta-
2: with the music.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got to go in the opposite direction. We've got to, like, discipline and punish here. We have to have the hover piano that, like, gives you a little shock anytime you play <laughs> something that's copyrighted.
1: You know, I, I actually consulted on the final season of Silicon Valley, and if only I'd had you guys in the writer's room with me, we could have had the shocking <laughs> disciplinary technology piano. We could have done.
2: Well, uh, what this has made me think of is a, a friend of mine who was talking to me about Animal Crossing, and she was saying that in Animal Crossing, I've never played it. There's a dynamic where you oh, I'm can... I'm sure you haven't played it, Milo. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, this, game, red, I was,
0: this game I was just hearing about Animal Crossing yeah. that you played because I'm a, I'm a, a red-blooded man. Yeah.
2: I've never, yeah. I don't even know what an Animal Crossing is. And uh, but she was saying you can compose a theme tune for your Animal Crossing. Oh, she island. was saying that you can compose a theme she tune. She was saying yeah. that, yeah. And what she said to me was, it, the the mechanic kind of sucks though because they only give you twelve notes. And I was like, well, I hate to break this to you.
5: <laughs> <but> <laughs>
2: Where's the J? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna invent the thirteenth <laughs> note. That's the new startup. <laughs> So, well, that's the brown note. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, so
0: basically, right? So when we say sounds, what we mean is like tracks or snippets. And it's been invested in not just by Andreessen Horowitz, but by Steve Aoki, the disco fries and other various... Um,
2: the disco fries? American style EDM Is that one of the things they tried to rename French fries after 9-11? <laughs> no, it
0: was actually... It was it was in the backlash to the disco backlash. So how does it work? Mm. This, is, this is from their FAQs. Because... Again, the hint is: if you're looking for a startup to say something stupid, look at what cues they think are yeah, fa. Th- this
4: would not mm. be my faq. My my cue that I would a them is: does it work?
0: Uh, mm. Oh, I'm sure it does. Like um, okay. with well, these things, I'm sure they work technically. It's just the they, they with blockchain <laughs> okay, sure. with blockchain yeah. companies. There's always this massive set of social assumptions about how this will then integrate with wider society that they just never really think through. But so they say: how does it work? Over the years. Music has become increasingly single player. Arpeggi's goal is <laughs> Amazing. To- I'm sorry what? <laughs> we want musical Verdansk,
6: Let's go. <laughs> what if multiple people were making doing music at the same time? That'd yeah, be that's interesting. Wild. Why don't we do we, that? We've invented the orchestra. Yeah, anyway, uh, single player single player music. Uh, let's go. Ar-
0: Arpeggi's goal is to automate the trust in digital collaboration so artists can be more connected than ever. And again, like the idea of doing <laughs> this is with some kind of an ownership claim on any melody you could possibly make so that It's just more transactional, which all of these weird crypto people seems to think is the same thing as more connected and trusting.
3: Yeah, because I think there would have been so much more trust, actually, Corey, when we were writing this book together because right. yeah. that was uh, really one of the big challenges. You know, we're working on this. You know, we're, we're writing in each other's sentences. If only that had been on the blockchain. We needed so more that,
1: tokens, is yeah. what she's saying, yeah. right? If yeah. if every time I if every time I fixed a typo, mm. I got it, I got a little cookie that fell out of my browser and into my wallet.
3: I just would have trusted that a lot more.
1: And and the people who stole all the things in my wallets mm. would have gotten all those cookies and think of all the good they could have done.
4: I'm just I'm just intrigued by the idea that copyright is about trust here.
0: That's that's interesting to me.
3: But I'm intrigued by the idea that this is about copyright. Right, because yeah. like, it- <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the next paragraph is when they go into it. They say Arpeggi allows musicians to share their music for reuse and attribution when their sound is used in the traditional music industry, i.e., the one that doesn't involve an squares. append-only database for squares, yeah, well, you know, like, where they're uh, all doing like big band music. Yeah. Well, look, you can append, <laughs> a, you can you can append or take away from databases in the traditional music industry. Uh, compliantly using someone else's song or sound requires payment and legal clearance, but with Arpeggi, any sound you hear is yours to create with. Now, um, I just like I, it. It goes back to one of these things where a lot of the NFT people start with a. a they look at the traditional music industry, for example, and they'll say, "Wow, this sucks," uh, but
1: then their answer is just more transactions, which seems odd. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's bizarre world Creative Commons, right? It's it's like it's Creative Commons, except that it just sets up these uh, constant token flows. Uh, Every time you play a note. And so, like, you have to think to yourself, like, you know, I was in this solo and I was going to do two bars of that song I like, but uh, I figured that the price would be a little too high. I'm only going to do one bar. (laughs) So to be to be clear, it's
0: uh, more like songs and snippets. So but it means if you want to remix someone else's song or use a snippet in your song. Uh, then you can um you can pay them but the the Corey, what you bring up is is probably like not far from the truth cuz what if you just make a song on chain that's mostly similar to someone else's with prior attribution you bo- you may now uh, have to pay them for the privilege using again uh, whatever fake currency that they invent uh, and probably becomes wildly speculative yeah like the mm. british pound for example <laughs> yeah oh god you got i wouldn't even want to touch that shit coin uh, so uh, have I, been I mean, they had to, to recall listening. all of
1: those coins so that they could put uh, Charles's face on them. No wonder there's a currency crisis. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's right. right. <laughs> so. Um, they call this the we'll, we'll move off the uh, ar-
0: ar- arpeggi in a moment but they call this the audio relationship protocol or ARP if you get what they did there mm. uh, when a song is made with arpeggi, the song is registered back into the protocol with full audio and authorship information which includes the creator of the song and also all references to the sounds the song used creating news connections between the song authors and central contrib- sample contributors of that song sample contributors to those songs etc. So imagine if we could just perfectly attribute everything and separate it all with a transaction for the benefit of the listener both Rebecca and Corey are shaking their heads they're just like mm-hmm. making music like it just makes it sound really boring
4: like that's kind of yeah. this the secret ingredient of pop music of, of all music is theft But and, and, and yeah. you want to take that away that tool away from uh, artists
3: what they want to take away is the joy right like if, mm-hmm. have you ever written a song with someone I've done it literally once right but it, it's like super fun and it's collaborative you're trying different things out you're playing well this is how we were doing it like How joyless would it be to be just like, well, I did that bit. Let's register that, and then you put that bit in. Let's just stop for a sec. Put record all the paperwork. (laughs) No, Mm -hmm. it's
6: yeah. It seems like another example of just like crypto people who just have no idea how to exist in like normal society. So like, are sort of like how they kind of interpret the way that people were even like stuff like ARP or you know, there's just the line about like you know using like digital trust and like connecting musicians to each other using the blockchain, and it's just kind of like. Do you know people in real life? Like, you know, do you have friends who aren't like part of the crypto community? And like, I can imagine in a lot of cases based on my very limited interactions of crypto people that perhaps they don't.
2: All of these people's favorite band is Imagine Dragons and ironically that
1: is the only music you could create using this platform. <laughs> <laughs> can, can, can I recommend some actual good things for people who want to understand how this stuff really does work? So the first is a is a graphic novel by James Boyle and uh, Jessica Jenkins or uh, uh, Jennifer Jenkins who run the Duke Center for the Public Domain that's a history of music and copyright called Theft, a History of Music. Alice, you don't know how right you are. Like it is an amazing <laughs> law primer on uh, on. On the history of music and and copyright, it's absolutely fantastic. There's a short story by by um, Spider Robinson that won the Hugo Award called "Melancholy Elephants." That's mm. basically Paul McCartney's widow begging a senator not to extend copyright because she realizes that all the melodies are, are have now now exist, and if we just keep extending copyright, no one will be able to make them again. Mm. Those are both like two actual good resources for people who want to understand why this is dumb.
3: Yeah, and that story's available freely online. Yeah, and that's actually, that was licensed. the inspo for my um, yeah. dystopic short fiction.
1: And Spider needs your help. His finances are are on the <laughs> rock. So if you, uh, he's got a Patreon. So
6: The story sounds really interesting. I, I'm going to read it like after we finish the recording. Um, but mm-hmm. I was thinking about this while we were talking, just like the idea of like making something um, and just like the process of making things. And anyone who's like sort of, and I'm, I'm sure like, you know, uh, from what I've read of like the article and also what I will read of the book, you sort of, you, you cover this where the process of actually like making something often does involve like imitation, repetition, and like the way mm-hmm. we get new stuff is by trying to learn how like the old stuff is sort of made and, you know, and so on. And it, sort of, and it sort of feels like these technologies and these kind of like, especially these very obtuse technologies that reduce everything to transactional measures are uh, also sort of ignore just like the actual, how the creative process actually works. Because again, like in, you know, for people like for people in this room and I guess like most of the listeners as well, it's fairly obvious. Like blockchain is not a creative enterprise in spite of how much they would like to present themselves as being like, you know, the creative element of, you know, of of the internet. Like it clearly isn't. And like, so what you end up and I don't know, like to me, every time they kind of come up with like their fucking like good projects or like, you know, interesting projects and stuff that they spam your Twitter feed with, it all just feels as if like you're trying to present yourself as being, Cookie and creative, but you're just like uh-huh. very bad salespeople.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and a third resource that you just that that you just uh, made me recall, Jonathan Lethem wrote this incredible essay in Harper's called The Ecstasy, the Ecstasy of Influence mm-hmm. that uh, is also open access. And spoiler alert, after this incredibly well-argued uh, essay about how everything that you do is made of the things that you love, he reveals that every sentence in the essay comes from someone else's essay. <laughs> uh, ah. And it's very, very good
2: eventually podcasting will reach a point where all of the riffs have been done yeah you know, what well, if an I, italian guy was ex-nationality <laughs> we'll have gone through all yeah, of it yeah we'll have done well, single trump and
0: everything
4: i, yeah, I yeah, reach for yeah. my drops and i find that all of the buttons have been removed
2: I, I mean i can certainly
6: imagine <laughs> like sometime in the near future an ai like some company will try try like create an ai system where it'll be like what if you could combine your favorite hosts from your different favorite different podcasts and mm. put them together and it sounds seamless yeah mm. in which case we'll have we'll sort of like have riley nick mullen uh the, yeah, the, the woman the right. roy
2: brothers <laughs> <So> what, what, <laughs> what, what, what <laughs> if
6: justin
0: mark, rosniak was on every episode of this show mark maron yeah, and like I, that I, woman I who find, does call her daddy yeah well, in one room, Riley's been fun.
4: replaced by the voice of james l jones <laughs> because that's now like AI. So,
0: so so i want to i want to move on uh to talking about this uh talking about the book but i want to do that via another andreessen horowitz thing which i think is very interesting uh, because Andreessen, and, I mean Andreessen and Horowitz, it's everything
4: like, you do is made of what you love, and what you love is Andreessen and
0: Horowitz pictures It's <laughs> absolutely true. Andreessen and Horowitz pitches and books written by
2: Tory MPs. They, and every time you bring them up, I'm thinking about the Alex Ryder series. Yeah,
5: so.
4: <laughs> not 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 a lot of people read the Andreessen and Horowitz stuff, but everyone who does starts a podcast.
5: Mm.
0: So, <laughs> Andreessen and Horowitz has looked at one of the problems of copyright attribution in NFTs, right? And they have come up with. I knew, know this one Oh, So you, you know about the can't be evil license Corey and Rebecca You're doing again the same <laughs> gesture Of head in hands Every time I talk about something Andreessen Horowitz does
3: uh, and- Rebecca and Corey have when actually did, choreographed I- this No, no, no. this is a special NFT despair. We've been on the road for like a week, 10 days now, and done a bunch of events and a bunch of interviews and uh, NFTs come out, and we were really polite about it at the start, and now it's just the despair collapse. (laughs) I mean,
1: as as I'm at pains to note, 98% of all conversations involving blockchain are (laughs) (laughs) non-consensual.
0: That's very true. uh, So then this is, but this is just, I I think, a way in, right? Because what they've done is they've tried to take a Creative Commons license, Mm -hmm. Uh, and then reinterpret it for a blockchain. And the reason I think this is interesting is because if once again, they're trying to take a social problem, and that's the problem that we're going to be exploring, the social problem of copyright, and solve it with a bunch of um, technical methods of, uh, um, uh, of issuing a- and exchanging attributions and licensed uses of things more exactly. Sexy. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that what what makes that interesting to me, right, is they say, okay, well, this is what they say on their pitch: is many people buy uh, NFTs to own an avatar an artwork or any number of other creative outputs. But the reality is they usually can't be sure of what they're getting, as t- as it's typically stored off chain. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, you oh, you may think that you've bought a, a you may think that you've purchased a, a, a an a Brooklyn an, an Bridge, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But in I sense, thought this ape
2: was doing the pussy eating gesture but actually it's doing the masturbating gesture
0: <laughs> yeah and so and but then you realize wait a minute I can't make a, a cartoon where my bored ape stars in it which is such a fucking great idea because mm. I don't have the necessary copyright protections and Andreessen Horowitz said what if we had more copyright what if our decentralized a- weird anarchist anarcho-capitalist vision of the internet had more copyright
4: it's, it's only and, decentralized in the form of like the boring authorities the like yeah, the course. cool authorities like Andreessen and Horowitz they don't count.
0: So I guess I want well I want to get into this conversation about copyright is just to talk about what is copyright as a kind of social construct, more than just a legal thing.
3: What uh, first first I want to say is that yeah, we we definitely talk a bit about copyright when we talk about um how these big businesses have captured creative labor markets, but we talk about a whole bunch of different legal structures as well. But in terms of copyright, it gets sold to us um as being about two things right the first thing is you know we need copyright in order to incentivize investments in 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 knowledge and culture right we want to get the stuff made and we want to like ensure that it's available ongoing right and no one can argue with that and you know you if you don't have you know just the the fact that the marginal you know the the first the first copy you make of a thing like a book it can be really really expensive because someone's got to sit down for a couple years and write it and then you've got the editors and you've got all of this labor and it's expensive, okay, but the second copy can be virtually free, right? Especially if we're talking about, you know, even a, a physical book might, might be three or four dollars to print, um, but uh, an, an ebook is a fraction, an infinitesimal fractional of a cent even to distribute it as well. So you need some kind of thing in order to stop people from just free riding on those investments. So all of that makes a lot of sense. But the other explanation we're given is a really interesting one. This is where the social stuff comes in, I think, is because we're also told that copyright is about recognizing and rewarding creators. Okay. So it's different to patents, right? They don't have, they didn't talk about that. They only talk about incentives when it comes to patents. But copyright is special. It's about this other thing as well. But we're being sold a bill of goods here, right? Because While it's about even if it is about incentives and rewards, what we see is copyright structures that um, see uh, businesses taking not just the minimum necessary to incentivize their investments and then kindly leaving the the creators with their recognition and rewards. They take everything they can get right to the point that like a standard form Hollywood contract um, takes rights throughout the universe at large so like even if a, like a lucrative extraterrestrial market does emerge it's still not going to be the creators who get rich right mm. and so people this want is, this Spencer is,
2: Confidential too on Mars <laughs>
3: <laughs> and so I, this is what's happening like a lot of the time in the copyright discourse something that really frustrates us is um, you know the lobbyists come out and like we need more creators uh, we know we need more copyright because you know do you hate creators that's why you don't want more copyright but it's bullshit right because it's like giving more copyright is like giving a school um your 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 kids being shaken down the school gate for their lunch money right um do you do you solve that by giving them more lunch money no I mean I mean this doesn't really happen, I do not think in Australia we didn't have lunch money in the same way I, I think you send armed guards with them is like what what's the normal <laughs> yeah, solution that, that,
1: the normal solution speaking as the father of an American high school student is that's right you you it involves a, a handgun uh, <laughs> but that, that I mean it, you know it and and to further that little analogy you know if if the bullies came out and said God will no one think of the plight of the starving school children we really yeah. need to give them more lunch money <laughs> it'd be pretty transparent that this is not what they're talking about and the thing about copyright Right, is it's not well understood. It's not well understood by creators, it's not well understood by their audiences, it's also not well understood by people who work in the industry. Mm-hmm. Right. I've had so many. In fact, this morning I got an email from a guy who's a recovering screenwriter of of you know with some accomplishments, who wrote a novel and he says it's a great novel, but it's set in a Disney theme park and he paid a lawyer for a legal opinion about whether or not it was fine. And the lawyer said it was fine because it was fair use, but he needs to get an insurer to insure it so that he can get a publisher. And I'm reading all of this, I'm like, this, this is like not even wrong, right? Like not only this isn't, it's not fair use to set a story in a Disney theme park because it's not a copyright issue to set a story in a Disney theme park any more than mentioning that your characters ate at a KFC is a copyright violation. Um, You know, maybe there's this like, Uh, like very dim kind of trademark question that you could dispense with. But anyway, this guy paid 10 grand to a lawyer to like give him an opinion because, you know, he he correctly assumed that publishers and insurers would not want to publish the book because they were worried about it, even though this has like no point of contact with the actual laws it's written or even the jurisprudence. It's literally just a bunch of made up folk beliefs, which is an important part of how copyright works is it's got this penumbra of incorrect assumptions, which is why you go to YouTube videos and underneath it says no copyright, which I think they think means I am not asserting a copyright and provided I don't assert a copyright, I'm okay. And you saw this back to fucking crypto. You saw this with a Jodorowsky Dune book where those people were like, We must buy the Jodorowsky Dune book in order uh, to have the rights to make a movie from it. And then a whole bunch of other people were like, even if you buy the Jodorowsky Dune book, you, you can't make a movie from it without their permission. And the actual truth is like way more interesting, which is that there are a whole bunch of limitations to copyright that lets you adapt whole creative works with all of their plot elements, their characters and their dialogue without permission, like the wind done gone which is a book that tells the story of gone with the wind from the perspective of enslaved africans which the margaret mitchell estate sued over and which the supreme court said no even though it includes dialogue all the set and setting and the the uh and, and all the characters and the plot it's still fair and so like they're all wrong well it
4: seems it seems like it's more of use as a sort of an intimidation tactic as far as anything else This idea that, like, Disney can send in infinity lawyers to make your life hell uh, while you try and get your your transformative work published.
3: Well, I mean, Disney has been doing this, like, over and over. Like, the the, um, Disney Must Pay campaign that Corey's been really involved with around getting Alan Dean Foster paid. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but this is this wild legal theory that they came up with. They acquired, you know, Lucasfilm and all of these other movie studios, and as part of that, they got the rights to a bunch of novelizations of, you know, um, key sci-fi properties like Alien, Star Wars, whatever. Um, and then they stopped paying the authors. And then the authors were asking for their money and Disney comes back and is like, well, we've acquired the rights to your works, but not the liabilities, not the responsibilities. So Sorry <laughs> sorry, you're confused about that, but we don't have to pay you anymore. Right?
1: Yeah, we acquired <laughs> the right to your house, but not the liability to pay you for it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a remarkable thing. And, you know, it's like in, in the same way, you know, we, the first half of this book is you know uh we try to make it lighthearted but somewhat eye watering dissection after dissection of how a bunch of different scams work you know you it's it's in the template of some of the things you guys do when you pick apart baroque financial scams and so on and and a lot of the times when you get to the very root of it, like how is it that they're able to do that specific fuckery? Like what is the generally accepted accounting practice basis for, for example, assessing a breakage fee on royalties derived from digital sales, where a breakage fee is the percentage de- deducted from your royalties to account for the shellac records broken between the warehouse and the old-timey record store in the horse-drawn carriage. How are they taking breakage out of your MP3s? And the GAAP basis for that is, fuck you, that why right and so much of the time fuck you that's why is the basis for all of these and and you know it's we we try to get into some of the and the second half of the book we try to get into solutions that address fuck you that's why and i know every time i call it a solution i'm worried if genny is going to show up and slap me but but you know <laughs> I they lost they,
3: I, I, yeah. The other day, he was talking about the final solution. Yeah, which, yeah. In like, the, the last little... chapter, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, in the last chapter, Russia there's China. this, we offer yeah. the final solution. I was like, oh, shit. And it's Russia Shuna too.
1: That's not good. Um, and then
3: he said it on the third way. Uh, uh, the, yeah, and I was like, can we offer a third way? It was just Stop like, everything
1: is bad. Then he started pointing at
2: something up in the corner of the room. It was,
6: oh, yeah, very unfortunate. Well, you see, the problem with those times is that they're all copyrighted. So,
2: getting sued by some people in Argentina. <laughs> I said
1: actually you will find that. Uh... So the, the second half of the book is like, it's devoted to like explaining how, how s- systemic interventions could address this. Never mm. individual ones. We actually had an editor say, oh, I can't publish this because none of the solutions are individually really relate- oriented. They're all, <laughs> they're all systemic. Like, I just want to know how, how I should personally recycle so that climate change ends. And, and, you know, yeah. we had some bad news from, but like one of them. So here's a He's fuckery, a a fuckery p- and a solution. Stalin. <laughs> Ah, if you have a royalty arrangement with your publisher studio or label, you generally have the right to audit your royalty statements. And mm-hmm. when you do like either out of your own pocket or through a professional association, you'll often find discrepancies we We cited some research of a, a firm that does this for record labels.'ve been doing it for decades. They found ten they've done tens of thousands of audits. And in all of those, this is going to baffle you, but in all of them, except one, the error was in the favor of the label and not the musician. And I know Whoa, this what is what? What? some like some incredibly localized probability storm resulted in this incredibly <laughs> unlikely thing. But. But um it's weird how they got find the
0: same auditors as Wirecard and Greensill
2: and EMC <laughs> Healthcare. <laughs> yeah. right. yeah.
1: you,
3: go, you go into On the a, room where they do no, the no, royalties no, 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 at no.
2: Warner Brothers and they're just mm. shaving a poodle. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> this was this was actually the the audit firm who had found in they favor found of the, the artist. Money. So like yeah. they, they, they they were they seemed to be like actual they're decent the good guys. decent
1: people. It's just the record label's own internal
3: audits were being yeah.
1: conducted yeah. by Lex Greensill. Ooh, okay. uh, <laughs> three Lex Greensills in a in a trench coat. So so um So when you find the errors, and we'd like talk to one source who had a six figure error in their favor, right? When you find them and you say you owe me this money, they're like, "No, you're wrong, and you're gonna have to sue us." And of course, that's very expensive. But then, because they're good natured slobs, they say, "I tell you what, just to make things square between us, we will pay you, but you got to sign a non disclosure agreement." We don't want everyone to get the wrong idea here, which means that if you find six figures, you can't tell the other people whose money they've stolen, "Hey, there's some money buried over there with your name on it. Go dig it up." Now. All of these contracts because of monopoly are consummated in california new york and washington state and contract is a creature of state law and so if we just amended state law with short bills that said as a matter of public policy uh um and anti- uh, uh non-disclosure is not enforceable when it relates to audits that reveal material uh, errors uh in royalty statements which is literally like a, a one paragraph bill you pass it in three states suddenly millions of dollars fall out of this machine and directly onto artists of all kinds all around the world more money than 40 years of copyright term extensions which these same artist groups have fought and fought for and spilled so much blood and treasure for they could instead direct their attention to things that make material improvements instead of existing entirely in the realm of ideas which is to say copyright term extension which is just the right to be angry at people for doing things they were going to do anyway as opposed to the right to have more groceries to feed your family
3: and then while we're doing that as well there's some other things we could throw in there because like these contracts also like prohibit you like really routinely prohibit you from using the same auditor that's already auditing that firm like you know the person who knows where the bodies are buried right and also stops them from like looking at some of the information which is where the bodies are buried. Right? I'm like, so like, you can investigate transfer- everything
0: about the murder scene except the body, yeah. the weapon, this blood matter. You
2: can investigate
0: what's in the kitchen cupboards. Maybe that's got a clue Lead for you. Into the detective who's searching
2: my house. Like, could you just do me one favor? Which is, don't dig up that corner of the garden. <laughs> that would be that would be a real solid. <laughs> but dig I'm, dig away what, the rest what, of it. What
0: I'd love to see though is like if if these bills manage to like get to um, a sort of like state uh, state assemblies and senates, just like. What kinds of justifications centrist Democrats and Republicans would come up with for opposing them? (laughs) No, we can't. We can't ask pertinent questions that would scare (laughs) away
2: investment. Exactly. I've actually I've just thought of an example of MP3 breakage. Okay. Uh Well, I, I wish to, to listen <laughs> no, to God uh, damn it. A, a rendition of, uh, of "Nom Encore by Lincoln, <laughs> Linkin Park and JC. Well, I, fa- I found myself on, on LimeWire, and uh, <laughs> I, I found a perfectly comely-looking copy of uh, the, this here uh, pop record, uh, and it was labeled Linkin Park at dot exe. Now, to my surprise, when I downloaded <laughs> this here phonograph, I found my computer had become quite a Unusable.
1: <laughs> I miss. We need to provide uh, a key for Gen yeah. Z to understand that joke. I I gotta say oh. I
0: miss the other fictional
2: kernel that Milo did
1: to annoy me. <laughs> uh, but
2: but so colonel JGA caster being sued by KFC for copyright. Bringing it bringing it back in a little bit,
0: right? Uh, Rebecca, you were talking about some of the um, some of the other things that could be done by any kind of reasonable society.
3: Yeah. Also, um, transparency rights. Like you know, we started talking about that. That's a big one, and we're seeing in Europe with the Digital Single Market Directive. uh, They there was some really dumb shit in that but there was also some good stuff and that includes transparency rights so all member states have got to um, give artists and performers new transparency rights over how their works are being used what revenues are coming in and how they get paid but they've also got you know new rights to fair and proportionate remuneration for their work which could serve as some kind of minimum wage for for creative labour um, uh, if implemented well um, and also use it or lose it rights so if you've assigned your copyright um, and the you know as is Nearly always the case, the 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 rights holder you've assigned it to loses interest after a short period, and it's no longer available. Then you can get those rights back and be able to exploit it. So these are ways that we can actually actually focus on those things that copyright we're told copyright is about. That is is about if we do revert rights to authors in that kind of circumstance, yes, we help reward them like because they've got new ways of getting paid, but also we're facilitating access to knowledge and culture. So these are both the things that it's supposed so to be it, about. It seems
0: right. Like this, this thing, of the, I, I, we talked actually like the, initially the question was about copyright, but we've talked, touched on so many of these different kinds of choke points from like the um, extreme expense of bringing a claim in the legal system, the domination of Um, I would say audits and information by these giant firms and so on and so on. But I think that the thing, the interesting thing about copyright and the reason I ask about it specifically and the reason I'm interested in it is that so many of the things that allow it to be so easily abused are its technical elements and the way it is socially perceived. The way that it is socially perceived, as you said, Corey, you were giving the example of the guy who um, is terrified that Disney's going to jam lawyers up his ass because he like mentions the theme park in his in his novel, right? That's how it's socially perceived as this terrifying. What thing. What is this?
2: One man, one lawyer. <laughs> but also, <laughs> I can't gape at
0: the same time. At the same time, how if you just how because it is it is designed to be sort of so um, technical and finicky and all that and all this stuff, it is something that actually is. Uh, again, an, uh, among many other solutions, sort of a problem that can be solved with um, these kinds of, again, as you say, technical legal changes combined, of course, with things like collective action, which would be required to push for them anyway.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I want to bring a kind of leftist perspective here mm-hmm. uh, uh, in, in, on this show. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. And so there's this, you know, there's this like ideological story about copyright that exists totally in the realm of ideas about, you know, oh, it's an exclusive right and it's yours and it's your patrimony and you can hand it down and all of this other stuff. And whenever the, the industrial interests that, that exploit creative laborers are talking about copyright, they lean really hard into this stuff, right? They're like, yeah, we, we need more copyright just like as a kind of axiom, because the more copyright you have, the more protection you will have for your uh, integrity. Stop someone from starting garbage future or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Right. And, And just, and, 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 you know, all of this stuff that's, that's supposed to help you. But then when, when copyright contours are proposed that produce material effects in the world that change the distributional outcomes of the uh, revenues derived from creative labor, suddenly the studios and the labels and the publishers change sides it's no longer about ideology it becomes they they just they sort of scramble for and often don't even try very hard to have an explanation for why it is that something that that would protect your integrity or would protect your living or what have you shouldn't be shouldn't be allowed so in the 1976 copyright act they included uh in the u.s they included a thing called a termination right which is the right after 30 years 35 years to to say uh I don't care what my contract said, I'm going to like file some paperwork with the copyright office and get my copyright back. And so like a lot of a lot of creators that started their careers don't have a lot of negotiating power, they sign bad deals. 35 years later, for that tiny minority of creators whose works are very commercially viable, a termination right is the right to to bring it back and then resell it to someone else on better terms. Stephen King terminated his first half dozen novels and Dean Koontz did. And the women who wrote the babysitters club, of
2: course as well. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> the women who wrote the babysitters club, the women who wrote, uh, um, sweet Valley high terminated all of those. So, you know, the, they, the, those are books that are still commercially viable. They didn't get a great deal on them when they first did them. And now they've got them. And, you know, like, The industry hates termination rights. Every time they're proposed, you know, when it came up in Canada and Brian Adams was out there stumping for it, uh, the Canadian uh, industry was just like, oh, this is this is, you know, some kind of weird communism. Like, don't you know about the sanctity of contract? Why should you be able to break a contract? Of like yeah.
4: squatting on this like this deal the deal that we made with someone who was like impoverished at the time you know
1: and and the thing is the story that if I give you more years of copyright or if I give you more scope of copyright or if I create more statutory damages or lower evidentiary burdens the story that that will make you the creator rich is is missing a middle piece i know it's hacky to reference the magic underpants gnomes but like it's missing it's step two right like step one more copyright step three profit what's the thing that happens in the middle and when you produce like a thing that has a causal relationship between material improvements in artists lives and a policy they're like we just can't do that right it, all we can do is the nonsensical uh, ideological thing not the materially important uh, causal thing
3: and they do say it out loud sometimes. Like I found the the transcripts from the the that this is sort of like this real cozy kind of closed room um, arrangements where they were hammering out the deal around termination rights. The original idea was it would be after twenty five years and it would be automatic. And the the white men in suits who got into this room uh, smoking cigars uh, were nearly all representing the um, the 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 Big content um, industries. And then there was sort of this one guy who was representing the Authors Guild. Um, and so, you know, despite all this rhetoric where they were going on, you know, outside about the importance of protecting, you know, artists' rights, in the room, uh, they're just like, oh, well, no, absolute, like, we know freedom of contract. Like, you can't possibly interfere with freedom of contract. And the Authors Guild guy, Owen Carp pointed out that, well, actually, at this exact moment that you're saying this, you're having this big fight with the booksellers and you want to mandate that they sell your books for a certain price. And you you're lobbying really hard for that and he said the most amazing thing he's just like each of us will object to certain interferences and support other interferences depending on whether we're the owner of the ox who was gored or whether we want to gore someone else's ox (laughs) and that's exactly what's going on here
2: sometimes you're the ox sometimes you're the guy doing the goring
1: (laughs) <laughs> and you know, I think this is Herman Göring. It, it's
0: uh, so, so, whatever. Well, that's that's also
2: copyrighted. Yeah. yeah, um,
0: yeah. But, but that, that, that that's yeah, why
4: another copyright license from Argentina. Yeah. Another yeah. one. <laughs> and
0: yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. one of the reasons, right? Where all the way at the beginning, why I wanted to talk about some of that crypto NFT stuff, because ultimately, right, that philosophy of we just need more copyright, more transactions, and that is like transparently moronic to anyone with half a brain, right? That's ultimately the same approach that um, these large companies take, right? Which is we just need more. And the more you have, the freer you'll be somehow. Yeah, and the freer the markets, the freer the people.
3: Uh, I want to talk a little bit about what happens when these companies do get lots of copyrights. And music is a great example, right? So you've got these three record labels that now control almost 70% of the global recorded music industry right? They own three music publishers that control almost 60% of the global recorded music, like song rights. Now, we don't need these companies in the same way that we used to, right? Because we've, with the advent of digital technologies in the internet, we've got so many different options. And like the fact of that has meant that the the contracts that are offered these days are actually, you know, quite a lot better, But it, and they got these rights not just from investing in records, but also through buying up lots of other companies, often at high fire sale rates um, during that sort of Napster war crisis. Uh, but when when they've got these rights, which you know can can you know that they, they, they last for almost a century, they use those to control the future of the industry. So while we don't need these organisations in the same way, or, or musicians don't need them in the same way that they used to, they get stuck with these organisations shaping the future of music in ways that benefit them and not everybody else. And so, you know, lots of lots of us rail against the streaming industry because we understand that that, that doesn't pay particularly well. One of the reasons for that is that it was shaped by the the, the, the three major record labels in order to suit them best, right? And the incentives are completely bogged, particularly at the time that they were doing this. They had, um, had everything arranged so that um, under the contracts, so first of all, they have to pay out remarkably little uh, to their artists, especially on these older contracts. So, because of um, the way the economics of the industry have changed, like we don't have to be making these really expensive shellac records and everything, royalty rates have been able to creep right up. So, it's not uncommon now to get like a 25% royalty. But a lot of the backlist is being paid out on 4%, 6%, 10% royalties. Um, and of that, nothing is actually getting paid out except on a balance sheet, right? There's just some money being moved around on a spreadsheet because of this scam called recruitment. So, with record deals, um, not only do you maybe have a low royalty rate, but nearly all the costs of making the record get totted up to you, right? And so say it's cost $150,000 to, you know, make your record to pay the four bandmates for the year or so that they take off to to write and record it for some uh, cost of, um, touring all of the cost of recording right it's going to take about three million dollars in revenues right before they've paid off that notional debt that's been totted up to them and they ever actually get anything and you know the people we spoke to said maybe five percent of bands ever actually earned that out and meanwhile there are you know coffers of gold going to the recording agencies so it's sort of scam upon scam upon scam and then you've got these other these these other people who are sort of um, protecting their sinecures in terms of um, where the streaming money is going. You've got uh, in each country you might have one or more collecting society, and they each maintain their own creaky database about which song needs to the recording needs to be paid to who, and the song revenues need to be paid to who. Which is enormously expensive, and there's massive amounts of um, you know money being sucked up here in order to you know protect those organisations. And then meanwhile, um, in those those contracts that you know when when um, Sony and Universal and Warner set up this streaming system, they had this um, unattributable money hustle where they, even though they had to pay out only the tiniest amount to artists anyway, they liked to make, make it sure they would never have to pay anything. And so they structured the deal so that um, they would maximize what's called unattributable revenue, which, you know, maybe you got an advance and Not you made it the, really, the, really- the, the,
0: the hearing the phrase unattributable revenue has given me <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. goosebumps. Yeah.
1: What, what if we put all of this on rains, the block, Rain's pennies from Heaven. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so please go on.
3: So you've got this unattributable money hustle that they had, where they would, st- and, 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 and record labels have done this for absolute decades, but they really started taking the piss with streaming. So there's structure that the contract said, well, if there's revenue that comes in, but it's not attributable to any use of any particular record, then it goes into this black box, and the label just gets to keep it. They don't have to pay it out to anyone, right? And so. Huh. And then uh, what they would do then is when, it, as a condition of like letting these companies like stream their works when they were starting out, they were just like, all right, so we're going to charge you an enormous um, advance that you're not possibly going to earn out, right? And then like a bit of a lower royalty rate, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, do you like that deal streaming company? Mm-hmm. And this way we don't actually have to share any of the the parts of the sort So, but so the to proceeds. make that
1: clear, it's like a millionth of a cent to stream, but mm-hmm. you owe us a million dollars a month which means that all the streams that you play mm. add up to only a few thousand dollars, and then the rest of that money comes in as unattributable.
3: Oh, And so again... <laughs> I, think I,
1: I think I figured it out.
0: It's that um, all of these um, uh, companies are run by Wahhabists who are trying to eliminate all
1: music.
3: <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you
1: were going to say all usury, but yes, all Dude, music Atlantic too. Finance, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: Again, it was transparency that like fixed this because there was a um, everyone sort of suspected it was going on, but you know, commercial and confidence, you can't talk about what's actually mm. what's actually happening. Well, it's like Don the-
2: confidentiality, basically, It's similar. To- <laughs> <laughs>
3: the verge got hold of a leaked contract between um sony and spotify in about 2007 and showed what was going on and there were like all kinds of unattributable revenues that were suddenly happened to be these big parts of the contract Mm. and after again after this came out then musicians were able to mobilize against the enemy and like and and do something about it and like the the majors did reluctantly change their practices around that um but it's just scam after scam after scam
2: record companies coming in like Listen, listen, buddy, we own everything from the Big Bopper to Cliff Richard, and if you want to play our music, you're going to do it our way. <laughs>
4: it's Dr. Patient Confidentiality. The doctor is Harold
0: Shipman, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, so are you suggesting that if you tried to call the cops on Harold Shipman, they'd send you to jail for breaching Dr. Patient Confidentiality?
1: <laughs> An, unattributable pensioners. We don't know where they came
2: from, we don't know where they went.
1: <laughs> you know, it's neither here nor there, but there was a big spread in one of the news sites today about all the states that exempt priests from mandatory reporting. Uh, and then and what that means is that it is actually a breach of their duty of confidentiality that when a uh, uh, kid fiddler confesses and then they turn them into the police. That actually is against the rules. <laughs> Oh, oh, fantastic!
2: Man. What a... this also harks back to the episode that we did with Dan Beckner about Spotify back in the day, fr- friend of the show. Yeah, um, where uh, we also unearthed that the the record labels
1: own the streaming services. <laughs> yeah, oh, they did. Yeah. 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 yeah, they sold off most of those holdings, but yeah, Universal oh, okay.
3: still got theirs, which is yeah. a huge, huge money spinner. And they refused, to, like for years and years and years, to say whether they were actually going to share the proceeds of that because that's unattributable, right, mm. uh, with their artists. I think they were really hoping the issue would go away. It didn't go away, but actually, thanks to, you know, thanks to Taylor Swift, we actually, mm. Taylor Swift did a good thing for creators. Mm. Um, the, the two others, Warner and Sony, sort of, again, after years, they sort of reluctantly announced that they would share it and they would do it in a dumb way. So, Warner said, okay, we'll share it, but it's all going to get um, offset against your recruitment debts, mm. right? Those imaginary ah. amounts.
1: <laughs> mm. It's all going um, on your permanent record. Yeah. yeah.
3: And, and so, like, no one really no, got just anything. for the
1: violent femmes. It's only them where it goes down <laughs> on their permanent record.
3: And Sony paid it out, didn't offset it against the, the, the illusory debts, but they um, paid it out at really low rates. Um, and Universal's like, we're not going to say. But then when Taylor Swift signed to them, and she's actually got some bargaining power, um, as part of that deal, apparently, she got them to. Also agree that um, they would pay it out on a non-recouped basis. Mm-hmm. So we don't know the royalties yet, but at least people are going to get some money in their pocket. So one of the weird conflicts
1: of the studios t- uh, being shareholders in pre-IPO Spotify is that the less money they took out of the firm in the form of royalties, the greater its profits looked on their on its balance sheet when it mm-hmm. did, when it went IPO, and the more those shares popped that they were holding. And so it, it's a it's a weird kind of insider trading that they were doing where they would they could control the cost basis. Of a firm that they were a shareholder in, and they could artificially lower, uh, improve it. By agreeing to take less money, so that then they could take money out of suckers who poured into the stock when it went public. <laughs>
3: but then this also drove down the prices that other people could negotiate because they had sort of most favored nation clauses as well. So when the independents who had, you know, either no equity or a very tiny amount of equity in this, and when they went back to the negotiating table to, to do their own royalties, they found there was a new like lower ceiling because the majors had agreed to a lower price price for theirs in order to drive up their shareholdings. No one, everyone else got lower rates too but didn't have that offset i mean basically rising tide lifted all boats what, uh-huh. what
0: we're suggesting more or less is that um, a butterfly sort of cooks the books in the amazon and then uh, no no
2: bands in europe can have dinner
0: oh no
1: amazon's a completely different story we could spend another half hour on them um, oh this is a
2: guy that all, every every big company is basically when you get down to it when you strip away all the layers of the onion at the core of it there are some guys shaving a poodle <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> you know you said that in the last week's episode and yep. then I heard someone else talking about it. no, and no it was the, it wasn't a poodle. wasn't it a poodle? It was a it was like a a, a Pomeranian Oh was it? I, These Why details
2: matter truth
1: yeah
2: Well I mean shaving a Pomeranian would take much less time. So much it's a much smaller dog. you know your overheads are lower.
3: But it's sort of funnier, though, as well. Like, you have just, like, a little hand raiser. That's right. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: what I'm learning yeah. from this is that it's just it's
4: theft at both ends of the music industry, except it's the artists doing the cool kind of theft where you sample stuff, and then it's, uh, you know, music producers and music companies doing the bad kind of theft where you steal from the artists. Yeah.
1: When we do it, it's the progress of the of the useful arts. When you do it, it's it's piracy. Exactly, I mean, that's always been in. there. Well, I mean, mix. what
4: what what transformative use is provided by you know Warner or Universal or whatever?
0: Well, they they do a lot of reboots. <laughs> yeah, well, and we well, yeah. all thank can, them for that.
3: Can we talk about Amazon?
0: Uh, sure. We've got uh, we got time.
3: Because I don't know it's my first time back in the states for a while. For some reason, I haven't been traveling much from Melbourne, Australia. Um, for the last couple of years. But uh, I was really shocked to be back in New York the other week and see just like every package being delivered now has got Prime tape on it. And probably you know you're seeing the same thing in a lot of places, um, but this is like a like a really good way of understanding what's going on because the, the, the Amazon play is what all of these companies are doing, right? And they talk about it. They love to boast about their flywheel. Do you want to talk about the flywheel? Yeah, play? sure.
1: They've got this idea that you know we we uh, are able to bring in a bunch of suppliers and negotiate favorable terms, and then customers pour in uh, to buy the things from those suppliers. That incentivizes suppliers to come in and to offer us even more favorable terms and so on. They call it you know a virtuous cycle but it's just as easily viewed as a vicious cycle of course because another way of putting it is we suppress wages of our suppliers and we suppress payouts of our suppliers uh, we use those artificially low prices initially that were subsidized from our shareholders uh, who allowed us to take a loss for many years. And then subsequently, be cut by forcing suppliers into uh, uh, unfavorable terms that are ultimately unsustainable, that also excludes new market entrants because who the hell can afford to sell these products at lower than cost because they don't have the street providing them with the money to to subsidize it. So we then can acquire a monopoly. We can mobilize that monopoly to habituate our customers to using our service, to bind our service in with other things they do, like where they buy their groceries, to uh, offer them Prime, so that they're $150 in the hole at the start of every year. And they can only recoup that by only ordering from Amazon instead of shopping around. Um, and then we can use the fact that those customers aren't and can't leave our silo to extract even better pricing from our suppliers. On the audiobook side, on the publishing side, that's that's pretty terrible. On the hard goods side, it's even worse, because one of the things Amazon then does is it's like, oh, hey, we figured out which of these products is selling really well. So we And we also, we, because you use fulfillment by Amazon, because that's the only way to get front page listing on an Amazon search, um, we get the way bills from your manufacturer so we know who makes your product. And now they're making it for us instead of you. And we're selling that product now. And you can go pound sand. With creators, it's it's a similar kind of v- vicious cycle. It has some slightly different characteristics and it has some specific technical wrinkles that are Laurie, relevant ask, to trash future does that mean yeah.
0: that amazon is going to start using ai to generate the erotic pamphlets that seem to comprise 90 percent of uh, the kindle marketplace
1: well i mean there's no good reason they shouldn't right that you
2: can buy on amazon.com <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean so basically yeah, that, that, amazon is inviting you to play a game of monopoly they already have hotels on every property and you are the shoe.
1: that's right okay fantastic so so with with tech there's these technological wrinkles right so you can use drm uh, on digital products that you sell from Amazon, irrespective of which supplier they come from. So, audiobooks is the one where it's mandatory. If you, They have Audible. Audible's 90% of the market. They won't let you sell on Audible unless you put their DRM on it. And thanks to Section Twelve One of the DMCA here in the U.S., Article 6 of the European Copyright Directive and its implementations in the U.K. and the E.U. and other laws around the world, it's against the law to remove the DRM. Hmm. Uh, even if the rights holder authorizes you to do that, which means that if I, as the seller, you know, the person whose copyrighted works are being sold on Amazon, wants to get a better deal, uh, Amazon has some spectacularly bad deals. Uh, there's a scandal called hashtag #AudibleGate that involves north of a hundred million dollars in wage theft from independent audiobook creators. Uh, if, if I want to get a bigger deal somewhere else and maybe not have my pocket picked, I have to bet that you are willing to jettison your whole Audible collection or maintain two separate silos for your audiobooks. Uh, if if you're going to follow me. Right. And, and so that's not going to happen. And so my audience is now chained forever to Amazon's platform. So Amazon can extract more and more concessions from me and treat me in ways that are really unethical. And I just have to suck it up and take it.
3: Yeah, so that's what all these companies are doing. Like that was what we realized was the common factor after we finished like looking at all of these different industries. We're like, well, the playbook is clearly you do everything you can to lock in your customers, right? And then you use that to lock in your suppliers. Use the profits to uh, like eliminate competition, whether it's by stopping new entrants from coming in, or, or you know, like Amazon did once, spend two hundred million dollars in a single month to just wipe out a diaper company, right? Which might seem like an expensive <laughs> way to come corner. In. Like
4: <laughs> a big My Amazon th- loitering munition drone, you know, just coming in through the roof. <laughs> like,
3: it might seem go. expensive, right, to, like, you know, sell more nappies, but it's, like, really cheap as a signal to send people, like, don't, like, stay off our turf.
2: <laughs> but in that um, factory, then- when they saw the Amazon drone turn up, they were shit in their pants. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Have These I got news to you if you're
5: listening right? to this?
2: <laughs> <laughs> please carry on.
3: I <laughs> mean um, then once you've done all of that, right, then you just get to squeeze and squeeze and squeeze your workers and suppliers um until they let like, let they they're getting just a really unsustainable share. At least Al yeah.
4: Capone wasn't talking about going to Fucking space. Like,
3: <laughs> at least what shape can to like
4: rocket be? Oh. Yeah, mm. big sort of like Tommy Gun. Chicago Tommy. I was thinking Tommy Gun. Yeah. No, I think
0: you're 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 all missing what shape it would be, which is uh one of those one of those like, yeah, you know, nineteen um Late 1920s, early 1930s, boxy cars, you know, that's, Ooh, uh, has, yeah. that has right. the windows that you crank up and down. I think that's what he would have. Um, but yeah,
1: it, you it's, know, I was born in the 70s and we had windows that cranked up and down. I think, mm-hmm. I think, <laughs> yeah, you, I don't know. You children, about.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I even I, don't, I, don't, I as a child, I think, has uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd
1: look, yeah. I,
0: I, I clearly just have, have been. You just in, like uh, to like, like expose, cars. Yeah, yeah. You like
4: to expose your sort of little Lord Fauntleroy childhood and adolescence, where <laughs> yeah. <for> you're like. <laughs>
3: Well I was you did, like, there there to were only curtains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was in a um in July and I had to I had to get unlock a car for someone and I just couldn't work out how to do it. And I came back and I'm like, I'm really sorry. I don't know, man. And they're just like you put the key in the lock and you turn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's how they get you. I was like trying to find the bit to beep. <laughs> That's how
4: they get you. They've locked you into them. <laughs> but total conspiracy
0: by big but, but we mm. we talk we talk of, of, of Amazon and specifically of Audible. Um And of Audible is essentially, as you say, right, um, realizing that because it has, it benefits from all these network effects, uh, it is largely able to just write terms to people where they can say, do you want to be an author? Well, here's basically the contract to be an author. This quite like, this desirable profession that a lot of people want, which basically means that we as Amazon can be responsible largely for like the increased proletarianization of most authors. And then this weird long tale of uh, books that are written by people who don't really want to be authors, but just, again, use an AI to write relatively similar, you know, like, short, uh, templatable stories. Uh, the dinosaur that was gay, yeah. a, a short story. Or
4: in some cases, I've seen... I've, I've, I talk about a weird long tale.
6: I saw this as like a pro-business <laughs> tip on, like, LinkedIn at some point, where they were like how to make money easily using, like, Amazon, like, their sort of, you know, as you mentioned, like, the sort of, like, self-publishing service. And they were like, yeah, I signed the, con- I, I did, like, all the contracting stuff, and then I subcontracted my writing work to someone via Fiverr. So I got someone else to kind of, like, also write. Yeah this very bad book and most of them are sort of like nonfiction businessy books and stuff right so it's like fairly simple to write most of it is just kind of like replications of things that exist
2: blockchain chapter one buy low chapter two mm -hmm. sell high
6: yeah it's like you know uh 10 chapters and then on the 11th one you're sort of like
4: (laughs) everything they teach you in Harvard (laughs) business school so this is very
6: much like an established sort of part of the whole like self-publishing ecosystem, which like is sort of marketed as like, here's like a really quick way of making money.
2: Sure. And uh, yeah, it is well, uh, kind of... I'm going to write a 1000 volume series on Amazon that's called, "What well, everything they don't teach you at Harvard Business School. It's going to be like chapter one, <laughs> digging a foxhole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, you've never been to Harvard Business School, clearly. Yeah.
3: So what they were doing with that, you know, um, one of the reasons you can actually make a little bit of money there is because Amazon changed the rules so that you could get up to 70% of the royalties. But the reason they did that is because um, you remember uh, that quote from Bezos, who's uh, told the team who was working on the Kindle to act as if you're putting everybody who's making physical books out of a job. Right, um, and what they were trying to do is get revenge against the publishers who were not w- willing to be kind of who were trying to resist being shaken down at the time that those eBooks uh, first came out, and so they're paying what is a relatively generous um, royalty in order to weaken the traditional publishing industry. But it's not that they're doing it, and that that's going to be sustained, you know, once everybody is locked in, and we've seen that play out just a few days ago with the Twitch play. With yeah, Amazon.
1: so Amazon, you know, owns owns Twitch, and Twitch is you know Gen Z TV. Turned to some uh, great YouTube stream. They. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, so like got... the official Dirch
4: who has like 20 trillion yeah. followers. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So they've got this generous 50 50 split, right? Which is not generous at all. Holy shit. They mm. take half your money. But it turns out that they had a, a secret deal with their A listers where it was a 70 30 split. And then last week, the president of Twitch was like, Oh, my conscience has got the best of me. I finally have to admit. That we're secretly paying, you know, the, the really popular people 70%. And to be fair to everyone, we're cutting their wages <laughs> uh, to, to a 50-50 split. What are you complaining and, about? And, 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 you know, he kind of anticipates this reaction. She was like, you might be asking yourself, why don't we just pay them all? And it's, it's just not sustainable. Our bandwidth bills are too high. Except they buy their bandwidth from Amazon. Huh.
0: Me,
3: me is charging me too much <laughs> money. Amazon is charging Amazon so much money to run its business via Amazon that it can't afford to pay its labor force.
2: Oh my god! Yeah. This is this and is Russian style of business. I, <laughs> I briefly worked for a tutoring company in Moscow where I was like taking them to task about the rates they were paying tutors versus the rates they were paying the clients. Which like the rates for tutors were okay, but the the fact they were pay- they were charging the clients so much meant that the clients were being completely insane about like what they expected mm. from you in terms of their kids. And I was like, this is this is deranged. Like you have like a no overhead business like you have a small office and then you have three guys who work there and they just go you go teach that kid like this is not you do not need this much money and then eventually the guy who was like managing the office just explained to it. he was like look you got to understand that like the wife of the guy who owns the company like takes a lot of money out of the business and like that's a big overhead for us and I'm like that do you, are you that's under the impression red. that that's... that is a legitimate business expense that I should be subsidizing <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's you. It's, uh, I, he charges I, me a lot of money. <laughs>
4: yeah. yeah, yeah. You got to minimize externalities in business, except for yeah, that guy's yeah. wife
0: that, That's, uh, <laughs> like so, and like so many things, right? The, uh, the sort of wild Russian experience is just the thing stripped down to its essence. Hmm.
4: Is it is it a crime to be a wife hmm. guy? And you answer me in this instance, yes. Uh, but you know, I, I think in a higher and a more moral sense, above the sort of the, the, your petty tax code and things of that one, nature. One of, the, one of the things
0: I sort of wanna, wanted to discuss before we end here, because I see we're sort of start, slightly coming to time as well, right? Because we've we've talked about um, a lot of the dissecting of the of what it is that they do we've also talked about the ways in which people resist it and we've mostly talked about this as a um i get rightly so with the respect to uh the wages of the creators versus what is taken by uh capital the middlemen whatever you want to call it but i think i just want yeah, yeah very yeah, exactly uh, look these Be- 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 wife takes a lot out of the business um i just but i want to end on well, how she does yeah not just how this depresses the um uh, 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 the sort of lives of people doing this stuff, but also just how it frequently makes the art much worse as well. You know, when when so much of the, of the effort is either um, sort of creating these complex systems that lend themselves to... When I say gaming, I don't mean gaming like as in Twitch, but like gaming that system, and creating art that's not meant to be consumed, but that's meant to either tick several data boxes, or that's meant to... Um, Be favorably uh, sucked up in uh, sort of the audible algorithm. Love to get favorably sucked (laughs) up. Or or, or things (laughs) such as this. So I just want to sort of pose that to you. How do you feel this has affected the actual product?
1: So I think that, uh, you know, I am I am reluctant to to make qualitative judgments about the art, at least, that I experience. I, 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 I want to, you know, start by saying that, like, I don't feel like I have a lack of great books to read or great TV to watch. There is some terrible TV and terrible books. But, like, I have a shelf there of books by people who have asked me to read them for reviews or uh, blurbs. And each one of them is better than the last. That's the shelf that I kept. And it's like four years of reading and a whole other shelf of unabomber manifestos which and and so that the but i will say that like uh this is this is my little uh weird jargony bit that como is infosec that content moderation is information security and so if you have a rule that says like we are going to promote x and downrank y that rule will be quickly found out by the people who want to spam or do bad things, or who are, you know, churning out AI-written books about Harvard yeah. Business School or the, whatever. The enemy knows the system. Yeah, of all of this, and then the people who aren't in this, uh, uh, you know, who aren't gamers, right? Who are who are there to like just do, to make art. Those people, their their vocation is not figuring out what the rules are. Their vocation is making the thing. And so oftentimes you either end up with these parasitic relationships where in order to succeed, you have to hire someone else whose job it is to be the algorithm whisperer, or uh, you have to uh, be a spammer, right? And, and it's just v- much harder to gain purchase. Uh, and you know the, the irony here is that the argument for these Baroque content moderation systems Is that they are going to somehow resolve the problem of low quality and they just contribute to it. And that's true, like up and down the stack, like it's true when we're talking about anti-harassment algorithms, like the distinction between the thing that Facebook calls harassment and the thing that's almost the thing that Facebook calls harassment is indistinguishable if you are on the receiving end of it. But if you're like a fucking Facebook lawyer who spends every hour that God sends, you know, masturbating furiously over the Turner Diaries and working out Facebook rules, then you can be a, a, a complete bastard to people on Facebook and never cross the line. And moreover, you can goad other people into crossing the line and then narc them out chapter and verse and say, oh, I think you'll find that Facebook has a rule against that uh, and get them silenced. And I think that that is like the overall problem of allowing all of our forums for culture and speech to be concentrated into a few hands that are run by mediocre donkeys, no better or worse than you or me, and then have them having no public accountability and no competition. All right, they're better than you. I take it back. (laughs) That's
0: right. (laughs) I know I'm below a donkey. Damn it, Dr. O.
3: But we are seeing, like, you know, we've had this 40, 50 years of increasing corporate concentration where all of these these content um, companies are are getting bigger, swallowing up the other ones, and they're all doing it in the name of efficiencies, right? And so, they've got way fewer editors, you've got way fewer salespeople, you know, and um, Penguin Random House might have just a couple people for selling the the world rights for all of its all of its books, right? In the, in the New York office now. Um, what they want to do then is they want to publish fewer books that sell more copies, right? And like in their universe, everyone will just read the, buy 10 copies of the same one book every year. And like that, that will be like, save all of the trouble for everyone. Yeah, the Unabomber but Manifesto. The,
2: conse-
3: <laughs> 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 the consequence of that, like as it trickles down is like we see more and more... Um, Homogeneity and like less risk taking, you know, over the top. I hadn't heard of it, but maybe you know, if it had been really successful, even more over the top. The arm wrestling success story and like over Over the the top top again, you know, like yeah, (laughs) yeah, right. Um, And you know what we're seeing and like what we're gonna get, I think. if we, it's not that people are going to stop creating amazing stuff, you know, although they may have less capacity to do so, particularly in countries that do not have any kind of social safety net and mm. universal health care because, you know, they die. Um, but uh, what, what we see is that there are fewer and fewer people able to actually devote their lives to um, creative labor in a professional way. So only the most commercial are going to be able to do that. And is that the world that we want to live sure. in? Yeah.
2: Well, yep. lots of people are saying
3: yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, if, you, if you weigh it by amount of money, lots of people yeah, are yeah, saying yes. exactly. If you're doing right. old yeah. school... There's a
3: Hollywood executive right now there in the got, hills just up dead. the bridge, like, yeah. working out this arm wrestling thing. Sounds like <laughs> it's really got... So, I I'm just <laughs> loving <laughs> the
5: this idea that, this
2: that soon, you know, Corey could have written the, ne- the next great, you know, sci-fi tale with a political message, and someone's like, Corey, will love the book. Have you considered calling it Stepfather, I'm Stuck in the Dryer?
1: It's, it's really... <laughs> I'm going to help with the sales. <laughs> <laughs> lathe, of, lathe of heaven yeah. to yeah. the... Uh, Stepfather, yeah. I'm stuck <laughs> in the lathe.
2: Someone imagined <laughs> the, in their dreams that I was stuck in the dryer, yeah. and now it's happening. It's so, like a very
6: bad Photoshop cover of like a shirtless guy on like a beach mm. uh, holding a laundry... Uh, yeah, holding a washing you know, machine.
1: Yeah. You joke about all of this. Uh, if you want to read something completely batshit, Sarah Jiang wrote an incredible piece about something called Gate which was a conspiracy of... Kindle unlimited um Brain supernatural X. romance and yeah. romance authors who would get together and pick a hashtag that they would try and push. And then they would all write novellas about her short stories that, that sold on Kindle as 99 cent novels and were in the K U P program and could make a lot of money. So they would like do these coordinated runs, like like try it's like trying to goose Twitter trending topics. Mm. and they would just pick a word like werewolves and uh, werewolves having sex with, I don't know, like were porcupines or something. And they <laughs> would they band. would all write it and they would make it a yeah they'd make it a mini trend but one of them created a, a series of romance novels about these brothers called the cocky brothers uh and <laughs> just guys who love uh, mastic yeah. and 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 <laughs> she trademarked the word cocky in connection with romance novels and then right. went after her co-conspirators. But it turned out it was because she was having a good run with this cocky brother thing. And then he tried to make it the group hashtag. And she was like, no, I don't want that to be the group hashtag. That's my thing. And so this was her revenge. And she brought in the USPTO as kind of her her like, you know, you and whose army, uh, which then sparked all of these other batshit trademark claims. So there was a guy outside of Austin who's a self-published fantasy writer who trademarked any fantasy novel cover with a guy holding a sword on the cover, and so i no. <laughs> I, I I saw this trademark application land, and I Filed an objection, but then I got on with the general counsel, McMillan, who published me, and they filed an objection. <laughs> so his trademark didn't issue. But they, the, the, this stuff begets the weirdest. I mean, artists are weird and crazy, anyways. Writers are weird and crazy. We 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 just had our event in L.A., uh, and our interlocutor was David Goodman, who ran the writer strike against the against the uh, Big Four talent agencies, which is this kind of pit of private equity owned monopolists who are screwing their their clients. And he said you know in order to win we were going to have to all fire our agents and they thought there was no way that we were going to do that but they weren't banking on one important factor which is that writers are crazy Mm -hmm. and so we all fired our agents right we're crazy enough without adding in all of this other stuff of just like you know it's like being in the in the behaviorism box where someone just reaches out and prods you with a cattle prod at, at you know random intervals to see what you'll go off and do and that's that's what it's like to be you know a creator inside the algorithmic prison it's 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 gross. I mean, the YouTubers I now love now the of in
4: prison. I love I love to press the little button and I love to receive a little treat <laughs> from the thing. Yeah, so, the box. You
0: know? uh, I just I noticed that we're slightly coming to time here. So I just want to say, right. number one. Corey and Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on and hanging out with us today. It was a delight. I always know it was a good conversation when I'm like, "Wow, I made so many notes and used five percent of them." <laughs> um,
2: we I, didn't even get into all that over the top three stuff. Yeah. The musical. I didn't even get to do my pitch for over the top three. <laughs> yeah, Hugh Jackman singing the, 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 this. the like the title number, "Man at Arms." <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, no. yeah. Um, and I think what we've all learned here today is that uh, the only way is that? It's only through collective action. Uh, through careful um, uh, uh, litigation and, and legal transformation and real political engagement that we will get the master and commander cinematic universe made <laughs> <laughs> the mccu yeah that's right yeah. so um yeah. once again uh, rebecca and Corey, thank you so much for coming on uh the book is called Choke Point capitalism uh, where can people find it well, it comes out in the UK on November, November
3: 15. Wow. And right. Australia there, and New Zealand By as which well. time the price will be out beep. The... Beep.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's out in the US now, uh, and in Canada mm-hmm. it's it's called choke point capitalism, uh, and you can get it everywhere, books are sold. However, mm-hmm. you can't get the audiobook on Audible. The only chapter that you can get on Audible is the chapter that explains how Audible steals from authors. That is an Audible exclusive yeah. <laughs> uh, that we put up on Audible. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a Spotify exclusive that explains how Spotify's uh, funny accounting works that is the only part of the audiobook you can get on Spotify amazing
2: yeah. Wonderful. and it's also it's a very clever titling because choking is very big right now so I think algorithmically <laughs> speaking <That's yeah>.
1: right.
3: <laughs> what was the interview I was in uh, was it yesterday I said they, with, they sort of choked that one out and I was like oh no <laughs> 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 I'm workshop this a little further yeah that is our
1: struggle mm, to find I'm, the final I'm afraid that's, yes. that's, <laughs> that's copyrighted too
3: I'm so sorry
2: <laughs> anyway uh, thank you so so much uh, for uh, uh,
0: uh, for for listening as well, our listeners. There is a Patreon. Mm. It is five dollars a month. You can listen mm-hmm. to more of this if you and want that's
2: some number of pounds. If you
0: want, uh, if, there's going to be a <laughs> lot more of uh, the uh, talking about the generalized state failure of Britain uh, in this uh, upcoming bonus episode. We also have a live show. There are still tickets for it, question
2: mark Milo. Yeah, eighteenth of October. There are still t- there are still tickets. Buy tickets to that. Mm-hmm. Come to the live show. If you're a ten dollar subscriber, you get a discount. It's the discount code is yeah. on the Patreon but yeah, mm-hmm. text for ten dollars. Go through your emails. Yeah, yeah. it's in there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's in there somewhere.
0: Uh, and then of course If you are in Australia We still have tickets For Sydney And Hot Britain
2: <laughs> Are you there We still have tickets For Sydney Canberra And Brisbane Yeah yeah Brisbane Yeah Sydney Canberra um, Melbourne There will be A Britonology live show Also on the 19th of November The tickets are not yet on sale They may be on sale By the time this goes out So oh. Look for those
1: <laughs> Look for those maybe <laughs> Yeah So um... Can I put in a Briton Technology request Uh, please please. i I want an adrian mole episode
2: oh that has been mooted it's in it's in our list of potential topics unfortunately it's not something i know anything about and nate obviously doesn't know anything about it so we might we might need a ringer for that one Mm. you have to get adrian more we're gonna have to get adrian mole yeah
0: Yeah. (laughs) uh anyway uh, so once again, a thank you to our guests, a thank you to our listeners, a thank you to our patrons, and for all those of you who are going to come see us in London and then Australia.
2: Oh, also come see me. Oh right, there's my uh, there's London, twelfth of October. London sold the fuck out. You're too late. If you don't have tickets now, you're not gonna. Uh, Cambridge, twenty fifth of October. Many tickets available. Come to that from London. From perhaps. London, get the, get the train. Those yeah, work. It's reasonable. Why not? Well, wait. They don't
0: really work that well. No. No, not really. No. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. We need to let ourselves and our guests go. So, Indeed. uh we're going to see you on the bonus episode. Bye Bye-bye.
5: everyone. Bye.